Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. My name is Brendan, and I'm one of the pastors here at All Souls. Um, if you've been here over the past weeks, I would venture to guess that you have found uh, the sermons, particularly when sermons on a, through Romans, potent. I, I know I have. I found myself kind of going back and listening over and over to them. And last week, just for a quick recap of where we have been, um, we were in Romans chapter 12, and we were talking about Paul's instructions for how we are to deal with enemies. And so there were really challenging words there. Um, for example, how are we to hate evil and yet love our enemies? We talked about the idea of being transformed from the inside outward rather than conformed the way that the world works, conforms us from the outside in. And, uh, and what does that transformation look like? How does it happen such that we can bless those who curse us, pray for those who mistreat us, repay evil with good? I think those are challenging, potent words for us, and I hope that you have been uh, ruminating on them. Well, if you saw the uh, scripture readings or took them in this morning, uh, they were... They were challenging in their own way, and if you noticed, I noticed that they were, they seemed to revolve around this idea of obedience or accountability to the ways and the words of God. And uh, I've, there was lots there for us to consider, but today I really feel like we need to carry on in Romans. And so the place where we picked up in Romans, I'll just read to you again the first um, line of that. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So we're going to be talking about that today. I wanted to pose a question to you. What is it like, think about this, what is it like to love someone with the love of Jesus Christ? Have you ever been face to face with a person and wondered, what would it be like for Jesus to love this person who's in front of me? There's an old um, spiritual song that I have come across in the last week. It was actually brought to my attention by um, a woman named Ruby Sales, who we're going to hear from in just a minute. Um, but she talked about this, this spiritual song which came out of um, kind of what she called black folk religion on plantations. And, and uh, so I'm going to teach you a little bit of this song this morning um, for a couple of reasons which I think will become clear to you. But I just wanted to say as a, as a note that um, <laughs> well, my daughter came in, one of my daughters, she's, she's adopted from Ethiopia. She came in this morning and she was at the back and she's like, mommy, where's daddy? There's, there's so many bald white people in here. I can't, <laughs> I can't find him. <laughs> um, 
Thank you. Um, but <laughs> I did want to say that, that though we are different, right? People, God has fashioned us uniquely and wonderfully, each of us, um, including bald white people. Um, but I, I think that when we come to the family of Jesus Christ, we understand that that people who are from every na nation, every tribe, every tongue, right? We have been gathered together into one body, which is the body of Jesus Christ. And, and while different, we are preserved in our distinction, and yet we are gathered together in unity, and I love that. And I have thought along about how grateful I am that we have, that I get to be a part of having a heritage of songs like the song that I want to teach you. I'm not black, I was not a slave, you know, but in Jesus Christ, I have access to a heritage that teaches me something about how to live under those circumstances and how to be faithful to the gospel, and I'm really grateful for that. So this is a song that's called I Love Everybody in My Heart, okay? So before we sing it, just remember, this comes from people on plantations, enslaved, and this is a song that they sing, right? Before we sing it, just imagine somebody who you would consider an enemy. Just find somebody in your mind. And I want you to keep them in your mind while we sing this song. So here's the song, it's simple, it goes like this. I love everybody. I love everybody, I love everybody in my heart, yeah, I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody in my heart, will you try and sing that with me, I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody in my heart. I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody in my heart. One more time. I love everybody. I love everybody, I love everybody in my heart, Lord. I love everybody, I love everybody, I love everybody in my heart. Now you can't make me hate you, you can't make me hate you. You can't make me hate you. You can't make me hate you in my heart. No, you can't make me hate you. You can't make me hate you. You can't make me hate you in my heart. Those are potent words, huh? Well, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about Ruby Sales. I, I've been really captivated by an interview that she did with Krista Tippett, if any of you are familiar with her. She does a show called On Being, and 
Um, so she interviewed Ruby Sales, and Ruby Sales is the founder and the director of the Spirit House Project. She's one of 50 African Americans to be spotlighted in the new Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Ruby Sales recently did this interview with Krista Tippett, and so we're going to listen to like a three-minute section. And as we listen to her talking, I want you to consider again, what does it look like to love one's enemies, okay? Let me just say something before we have a question. I really think that one of the things that we've got to deal with is that how is it that we develop a, th a theology or theologies in a 21st century capitalist technocracy where only a few lives matter? How do we raise people up from disposability to essentiality? And this goes beyond the question of race. What is it that public theology can say to the white person in Massachusetts who's heroin addicted because they feel that their lives have no meaning because of the trickle-down impact of whiteness in the world today. What do you say to someone who has been told that their whole essence is whiteness and power and domination, and when that no longer exists, then they feel as if they're dying, or they feel suicide, they, they get caught up in the throes of death, uh, whether it's heroin addiction. I don't hear any theologies mm -hmm. speaking to the vast amount. That's why Donald Trump is essential, because although we don't agree with him, he's, people think he's speaking to that pain that they're feeling. So what is a theology? I don't hear anyone speaking to the 45-year-old person in Appalachia who's dying of a young age, who feels like they've been eradicated because whiteness is so much, so much smaller today than it was yesterday. Where is the theology that redefines for them what it means to be fully human? I don't hear any of that coming out of any place today. And we've got a spirit, there's a spiritual crisis in white America. It's a crisis of meaning. And I don't hear the, we talk a lot about black theologies, but I want a liberating white theology. I want a theology that speaks to Appalachia. I want a theology that begins to, to deepen people's understanding about their capacity to live fully human lives and to touch the goodness inside of them rather than call upon them the part of themselves that's not relational. Because there's nothing wrong with being European American. That's not the problem. It's how you actualize that history and how you actualize that reality. It's almost like white people don't believe that other white people are worthy of being redeemed. Mm. And I don't quite understand that. It must be more sexy to deal with black folk than it is to deal with white folk if you're a white person. So as a black person, I want a theology that gives hope and meaning to people who are struggling to have meaning in a world where they no longer are as essential to whiteness as they once were.
And then, and then I sat down. <laughs> I, isn't that beautiful? I think one of the things that I find really striking about her is that I do not find a trace of hate. I don't hear hate or bitterness couched in her language. And I think, um, yeah, I see someone there who is willing to hear people's pain, to extend love, to extend generosity and compassion. Now, Ruby Sales mentioned earlier in her interview a phrase that I think is um, profound. She mentions the question, where does it hurt? And that she asks this question often of people, where does it hurt? Now, I'm coming to the conviction, I think, that if we don't have room for other people's pain, that we have no, we live with no possibility for reconciliation, for redemption. We have to be people. If we're going to live with this continuing debt to love, which is what Paul describes, if we live with this outstanding debt to love, but we don't have room for people's pain, we won't go anywhere. There is no room for redemption if we cannot hear people's pain. Now, I wanted to read to you again um, from Romans. Um, you probably heard it as he continued. He has this phrase. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So I hear there a hopeful invitation, right? We have come, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we have entered into new creation, right? That, and that's happening now and is being worked out now in our midst by the spirit of Jesus in us. And yet, there is still a day that is coming when, when the morning will arrive, when Jesus will return, when all things that are not right will be made right. And what, what is... Uh, what does it say? The things that are passing will pass, but the things that, that will remain will stay, right? And we have this hope that the night is nearly over. And so uh, we are exhorted to put aside the deeds of darkness. Now, for some of us, that uh, maybe is a fairly straightforward uh, word. And some of that is because some of our things that we need to put aside in the light of resurrection are just things where we have given ourselves over to appetites, right? Like, and you probably, if you, if that's you, you know it, you feel that sense of conviction. Like, yes, I've just given myself to appetites or things that I shouldn't. And uh, in that case, I would encourage you to confess, to repent, and to ask the Spirit to empower you for something different. But I have found over the years that for many of us, uh, darkness is not just something that we can make a decision to, um, to put aside. Because it's, it's rooted deep in things in our pain. Yeah? Can anybody affirm that? 
And so you can't, you don't just go to an alcoholic, for example, and say, just stop drinking, because it doesn't work like that. And you don't go to somebody who's depressed and just say, just stop being depressed. You know, it doesn't work that way. And so um, as I've been thinking this week, I've just been thinking about the invitation to put aside our darkness, I think also is an invitation to know ourselves and to, to own our pain. And I don't know for, for you if that feels really vulnerable, like, and it is, to share our pain, but um, I do believe that in the midst of our, the, the sharing of our pain, that there is a hope for redemption, a new creation. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but I just wanted to say that for me, um, I've had a pretty recent experience with just kind of coming face to face with some of my own pain. Now, it depends on what time of my life, what season of my life you happen to find me, but it, you know, if it was in my early 20s and you asked me, where does it hurt? I would have said, well, I'm lonely. And I felt that acutely. And I would say retrospectively that I was flailing around in my loneliness and hurting a lot of other people. Um, if you'd found me eight years ago and you'd asked me where does it hurt, I would have said my family. Um, not my immediate family, but my, my parents and my, that immediate family. And there's a lot of mess that was unearthed in that season of my life that kind of undid my whole childhood. And, um, and so that was, it was painful. I was hurting there. And uh, more recently, um, we were on vacation. My, our family was on vacation. And, and uh, in the course of the week that we were away, um, I just, my wife and I had this exchange. And it was simple. It was like a simple thing. And yet for me, it pushed me into this place of, of this deep feeling of rejection and isolation. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but something small happens, and then you're like, huge consequence. And you start to wonder to yourself, is there something else going on here? <laughs> um, and I sort of had that feeling while I was at the beach, because it was like four days of me just in this dark, sort of isolated place, and feeling very rejected and, and alone. And, uh, and I was telling myself, like, this is out of proportion. I'm feeling something that doesn't really make sense, but I couldn't get myself out of it. It wasn't like I could just snap out. And, um, and I have a spiritual director, and I was like, on the way home, I was thinking, I need to pay attention to what's happening because there's something going on. So I got home, and I was like, Ken, I need to talk to you. And um, so we talked, and we, we were talking about rejection. And, um, and I just found myself saying, I was, I, f I was feeling in this moment this deep chasm, this abyss of like rejection, and I don't know why. I don't know, I don't have anything that I can put my finger on, except that I know that when, you know, something happened with my wife, it was like she became the focal point, but I don't think it was her, so what, you know, what is it? And, um, and I still feel like, it's something that I can't fully put my finger on. But one of the things that we started talking about was how my childhood is, when I think about my childhood and I tell my children stories about my experiences, they're always about me 
and they're about adventure and they might involve my friends, but they never involve my family. Like almost none of my memories of my childhood uh, involve my immediate family. They're just me. And we just got to talking about that and the sense of rejection or isolation or, or you know, that, and that there is no, uh, there's no one thing that you can put your finger on if that was your story and yet you feel kind of abandoned or alone. And um, whereas if you were beaten or something, you would have a very vivid like, yes, my father hurt me and you can deal with that. But in my case, I have no, nothing to put my finger on. I just have this sort of chasm of rejection, right? And so, but it was so good to have somebody to talk to about that, to hear my story, right? And, um, and we all carry these kinds of pain. I have met in my, you know, my work, I have met people, you know, with the kinds of pain that, you know, you just, you would never wish on anyone. Um, people who's, I met, I knew a girl who's had this vivid memory of her father pulling over on the interstate um, because her mother, so her father was abusive, her mother had thrown his Bible out the window because he was always using religion as this sort of cudgel for for his abusiveness. And so she, his, her mother got fed up, threw the Bible out the window. Her father pulled the car over, dragged her mother out of the truck by her hair, down the highway, got the Bible, and brought it back. And this was her childhood. And in the same breath, she's telling me about being raped during school, studying with a, a non-trad student. And it's like, I didn't go looking for that pain, but we're all carrying that sort of stuff. Um, I know people with pain of losing both their parents uh, and the kind of abandonment that that creates in us. I mean, the stories just go on and on. We carry pain, there's no denying that. And so um, I think as I have really prayerfully considered the life of our community and how we are learning to be more like Jesus in the midst of our history, both really long history and in our immediate history, learning to be people of Jesus means learning to be people who have space to hear one another's stories and particularly to, to be able to say, where does it hurt? And to hear that, to believe that, and then to be with somebody in the midst of that. Can you all say amen to that? Does it make you feel nervous? It does make me feel a little nervous. Um, I wanted to say though that um, my experience of that vulnerability and of, of those moments where our pain comes out, a few things. First of all, um, if you are going to be vulnerable with your story, do it carefully. Don't just share your story with anyone. So find somebody that you trust who will steward that your story as, as something sacred and won't talk about it. Um, and then second of all, I have found that those places of pain, that Jesus has the capacity to heal them. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we come to Jesus and it's like, oh yeah, it's all better. But um, I do believe that um, Jesus has the power to take the poison 
of our stories that impacts us and influence us, influences us now and to drain the poison of our history so that it doesn't have the power to influence and um, direct us in the present. And, um, and that happens most profoundly I've seen in what I would call healing prayer. This times where we, where we can go and listen to Jesus and let Jesus speak into our histories and to reframe them in ways that um, help us recognize that he was there with us, that he knows us, that he loves us. And so my wife and I have been working on, um, we've been helping to lead a, a healing prayer class with Krista Young. And, and um, if, if you all find that you are in need of spaces for healing prayer, we will consider um, having a healing prayer service sometime. So I just wanted you to know that. Um, but I also want to encourage you that there are counselors who are wonderful and, and, uh, and friends, um, and, and often that just the sharing of our pain is healing in itself, not letting it kind of keep us in those places of darkness where we feel hidden and we feel like we have to keep secrets, um, but that we, sh we learn to speak about where it hurts and let Jesus um, bring freedom to us. So I hope that makes sense. It's not really, hopefully not long-winded. It's just a simple question that goes along with love. And it's where does it hurt? And I hope that you have the opportunity to be asked that question sometime. And I hope that you have the opportunity to ask that question sometime. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.